Do you know what the federal minimum wage is today for tipped workers? That's crazy. Why is that allowed? It is kind of this like social weight every time you get a bill. You drink that coffee and it tastes a little more bitter than it should have. Gets a tax. It's not a tip. This guy's made me wildly, wildly uncomfortable. He was the human version of the square terminal. What am I tipping for? Like, do you just want two more dollars from me? It is pretty arbitrary. Some people call it guilt tipping. Some people say it's tip creep. Some people say it's people getting what they always deserved. He's got a big wad of ones. No, my barber's not getting ones. You said you're carrying a lot of ones. You know, like no, but the barber's not getting the 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 barber's (laughs) getting the big bucks. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back to the shit you don't learn in school podcast. This is Calvin Roser. And this is Steph Smith. And today we're going to be talking about tipping culture. So Steph, I went to buy a t-shirt the other day, just at some random store. And I go to the checkout. I put my credit card on the tap pad, which is something Mm -hmm. I'm getting used to. I really do like inserting the chip, but the tapping is easier. (laughs) I pay for the t-shirt and then I'm hit with an option to tip. 15, 20, or 25%. And I'm pissed. Oh my God. I was buying a t shirt. What'd you do? (laughs) No tip. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that's normal. I actually wonder how many people tip for t shirts. I feel like I also saw someone tweet the other day that they were buying something online and they prompted them to tip. It's like, how far does this go? Is there just like a, a tip on everything we do now? It seems like it's heading that way, but. I have seen a lot of frustration and heard a lot of frustration on the ground. And I think there's a little bit of a resistance to the, what I would call the mechanization of generosity. So let's talk about tipping culture more broadly today and some of the specifics like the square terminals that we're talking about and see if we can land anywhere without making too many people mad. I know, I know, because I I tweeted about this recently and we have talked about this a lot and I really wanted to talk about how... I don't like aspects of tipping culture, but there is this cultural relationship with it where some people are like, hell yeah, tipping's terrible. And then other people really judge you because they think you're making some sort of commentary on like how much people should be paid or whether certain jobs are righteous or not. And I should just say at the outset, I have worked as a server. I was paid minimum wage in Ontario during college. I'm pretty sure We got almost no tips, by the way, because we were serving all students, (laughs) which are a pretty rowdy bunch, so not easy to actually serve. And so I just wanted to put that out there because, like you said, there's some judgment, some anger when this topic comes up. And I at least will say that I don't know everything about the subject, but I have been in the seat where I'm getting tipped or not tipped. Yeah, I think that's a good thing to call out. So I haven't worked in a traditional service industry. I was a bag boy at a grocery store. And I do remember acutely asking many old ladies if they needed help to their car with their groceries and hoping for that $1 to $2 tip. That meant a lot. And I actually do remember one person who gave me a $20 tip near Christmas. And that was a big deal at the time. I remember getting Chipotle for me and my friend. Back then, it was like $7.50. And that was a big deal at the time. So that's not to say I've worked in a restaurant or anything like that, but I hope we can add a little more nuance to the conversation because I think when you put things out on Twitter or you just kind of loosely talk about tipping, people jump to conclusions, but let's try to hit the different dynamics of it because I think there's a reaction that's happening to 
mm-hmm. non-traditional tipping and changes in tipping culture, which is maybe what makes this an interesting topic. By the way, your point about getting like a dollar or two when you were a bag boy, we can get into this later, but it is interesting at the very least how certain jobs within the service industry have expected tips, at least within North America, and then others have way less consistent or expected tips. And there's just like this societal acceptance around like, oh, you absolutely tip in a restaurant and then you don't need to tip elsewhere, even though people are giving you a service. But before we get into today and where tipping is around the world, not just in America, I wanted to go through the history of tip culture. So where did tipping actually begin? Because this is not a phenomena that existed, you know, in prehistoric times, the cavemen, maybe they had their own form, but like tipping has not followed us through our human journey. Do you know where tipping began? I have no idea. Okay. So from my online research, I feel like one of those people who like writes up a Twitter thread off Wikipedia, but the practice of tipping began in a place called Tudor, England. And basically in these times, tipping was a relationship between masters and servants and a servant would get extra money if they performed well. So tipping originated truly out of this idea of kind of like rewarding someone for good service. This, again, it started in England. This was brought from Europe to the Americas in around the 1850s and 1860s by basically rich Americans who wanted to seem aristocratic. So at least in theory, there was good intentions there. However, an interesting thing happened where basically society actually viewed tipping as inconsistent with the values of a democratic egalitarian society. And so I think at one point, Several states actually made tipping illegal and kind of this sentiment that tipping was problematic, partially due to the like master-servant relationship. And also, I think there were dynamics where people would tip servants for doing things that they shouldn't do, like getting more food at a restaurant. So basically, there was a sentiment that like tipping is not okay. That sentiment actually made its way back to Europe. And that is one of the reasons, apparently, tipping is much less present in Europe. Like, that sentiment took hold in Europe and persisted to today. And then something happened around the Prohibition era where things were just really, really tough for hotels and restaurants in the United States. And a bunch of these places were losing revenue on selling alcohol. And so those financial pressure actually kind of reversed that sentiment or forced the hand of these different restaurants, bars, hotels, to then kind of start welcoming tips again to supplement the wages of the people that they had hired. So it's kind of interesting, isn't it, that like tipping came from Europe, was brought to America. The anti-tip movement started in America, but then made it back to Europe. And then here we are today where tipping is much more present in North America. Did you find anything? I'm imagining the old days. You know, you have people who like perform on the street. You would see this more in New York than any other place. And it's people playing music, they're dancing, they're doing things in front of large crowds, and they have a tip hat or a tip bucket or something. Is that a part of it as well? Or is that even considered a tip? Or are we talking about something different? No, I think because tipping actually, interestingly enough, was a product of this like master servant relationship. I think it had less to do with, you know, the random person on the street, but really people who were doing services for other individuals 
who then wanted to reward that that service. So actually, if you go down the research rabbit hole of this topic, there's a lot of articles where people kind of actually relate tipping to slavery and how there's problematic dynamics there. And then, of course, like there is somewhat of a proof point around this prohibition era where hotels, bars, restaurants, etc. Again, their hand was kind of forced. They accepted tipping, even though they originally found it problematic, because they couldn't afford to pay their workers. And this kind of helped them stay afloat. Wow, that's fascinating. I didn't realize when you were talking about the servant relationship, you were talking about one that involved slavery. I was more envisioning like a, a cook that someone hired and that they would somehow be tipped for good service or something like that. But that makes a story, I guess, even more complicated. Yeah, it's definitely complicated. And I guess just to fast forward a little bit, legislation was passed in 1938 where employers were only required to pay tipped workers a wage that would add up to the federal minimum wage when combined with tips. In some sense, this legislation continues to be alive. In fact, do you know what the federal minimum wage is today for tipped workers? No. So the main federal minimum wage is seven twenty-five. What's your guess at the minimum wage for tipped workers? Like four or five dollars. So the federal minimum wage for tipped workers is two dollars and thirteen cents an hour. That's crazy. Yeah. So anyone else, if they're not a tipped employee, has to be paid seven dollars and twenty-five cents. If they are tipped, and I think. The requirement is only that they are paid $30 a month in tips. So there's it's not like there's a high bar there either. But yeah, the federal minimum wage for someone who is tipped is $2.13. However, several states have added on additional state-level legislation that requires they're paid the full $7.25 minimum wage or some other modifications. But there are six states that have no state-level laws. So that $2.13 tipped minimum wage is is the minimum wage for servers, for example. Can you guess what those states are? I mean, my guess would be that it would be the more conservative states, like some places in the South or the Midwest, but I really, I don't feel like I have a good intuition here. Yeah. So it's Alabama, Georgia, Louisiana, Mississippi, South Carolina, and Tennessee. It's just interesting. I mean, I'm not making commentary on anything in particular there, but it is interesting to just consider there is a strong dynamic in that situation where the worker is effectively being compensated by patrons, right? Like almost entirely. Yeah. And I think maybe we talk about this more later, but if we get to the crux of if someone has a very strong reaction to someone who's, let's say, a not generous tipper, they're complaining about tipping culture, they may have worked in the service industry and they're like, are you kidding me? I was paid $2 an hour. Like I survived on tips. It barely even got me to like the minimum wage. You don't know what you're talking about. I think that's the crux of the tension and the tipping argument. And I think we yeah. want to talk about that, but maybe extend beyond that as well to other things that are happening. No, exactly. Because before doing this research, I did not realize that there were states where people got paid $2.13 before tips. And I do think that changes the game. Like if someone is getting paid $15 an hour and my tip is some smaller fraction of that, I think it's maybe more okay to be like, look, I'm paying you based on your your service, right? And if you're a great server, I'll 
tip you handsomely. And if, if you're not, like, I think it should be okay to not do that. But it does kind of change the calculus if you're getting paid $2.13. I don't, I, I guess I don't understand why is that allowed? Is this just some old school legislation that carries on? Why would an industry where there's more tipping have such a lower minimum wage like this? It seems not right. To that point, this legislation was passed in 1938, where employers were only required to pay tipped employers a wage that would add up to the federal minimum wage when combined with tips. So that's really key is before that didn't exist, there was no delineation. And then in 1938, I don't have the specific details on exactly what kind of caused that at that particular time, because this is a little bit past prohibition, but like that's when it changed. And then in the 70s, there were more laws passed to offer fairer wages to restaurant workers. And again, every state's kind of tackling this differently, but some of it still remains where it's it's just $2.13. I wonder if it has something to do with the Great Depression started in, I think, 1928, 1929. And that went on for quite a while, at least like the stock market took 25 years to recover its all-time high. But I wonder if it stemmed out of that and for some reason businesses couldn't stay in business with their current model where they had to pay the minimum wage and so it was passed on to patrons to somehow do that. But I don't know, that would be surprising as well that a business couldn't set up its unit economics to actually pay their employees a fair wage. I guess it is advantageous to the business owner to pass on the cost of the consumer for profit reasons, but it'd be surprising to me if you actually couldn't run the business without this model. Yeah. And I mean, you're you're exactly right. That's what it said. Again, partially on Wikipedia, but it said the introduction of prohibition in the United States in 1919 had an enormous impact on hotels and restaurants who lost the revenue of selling alcoholic beverages. The resulting financial pressure caused proprietors to welcome tips, which again, like for a while, they actually thought it was a bad thing. So they welcome tips as a way of supplementing employee wages. So, you know, isn't that interesting? Like people, when we talk about policies, people often think of the immediate impact of a policy. Let's just consider like relieving student debt as a general policy. A lot of people are like, yeah, let's do that. Other people are like, no, let's not do that. And each person has their reasons. But if you consider when people talk about second, third, fourth order effects of things like prohibition, banning alcohol in the United States, which was later reversed, leads to this thing where you have revenue declines in businesses, they actually can't stay in business. And so you change the legislation to create this weird situation for workers where they're essentially underpaid and then patrons make up for that via tipping. And that lasts for another 90 years a really until long to- time. today in the modern world and with all the changes that have gone on now. And I more want to note that policy changes have an interesting way of enduring through time and we don't always update them based on modern circumstances. And they're quite sticky, which is, Mm -hmm. I I don't know if we've talked about this idea before, but I really do like the idea of expiring legislation. Like legislation can't just go on forever because it's it's almost never reversed. You just keep stacking it instead of saying, hey, let's do this for 10 years and see how it goes. Yeah. And you can renew it if it's great, but you can also, to your point, expire it. And I want to call it one thing in particular that it also says. It says, contrary to popular belief, tipping did not arise because of servers' low wages because the occupation of the waiter or server was fairly well paid in the era where tipping became institutionalized. So it's kind of like chicken or egg. A lot of people thought, 
oh, servers are paid super little and therefore patrons made up the gap. What actually happened is servers were paid relatively well, but these hotels and restaurants were going through some trouble. And so they allowed tipping to come in to augment what was happening at that time. And I think that's a common misconception about where things started. But to your point, I think most people who are arguing for or against tipping or the structure of it probably haven't actually looked at where this actually all came from. Okay. So we have this fascinating history. <laughs> like I'm learning a ton on this podcast. This is actually quite fun. Where where do we go from here? Why don't we just talk through a few of the reasons that people might argue for or against tipping today? So people who argue for it tend to kind of vouch for the fact that tipping still is a mechanism for rewarding good behavior. You could argue whether that's true or not, <laughs> especially in, in America, but that that is a thing in theory. There's also just the wage gap like we noted. So a lot of servers are paid very low wages and tips can kind of make up that gap in a pretty substantial way. I think there is a business incentive where they can keep their prices lower and attract more customers and consumers may even perceive those products to be more affordable. Some consumers like the ability to tip the amount that they like. They have some flexibility in giving feedback on the quality of service that they've received. I think the main thing, though, that people often argue is just the servers, et cetera, are not paid well. And so they should be compensated more for their work. And what are the arguments against? So I think the arguments against are that the incentives that people believe are in place are not actually true. So I think a lot of tipping cultures just have almost like a tax where it's it's not actually representative of the service you're receiving. There's just an expectation that, you know, you pay at least 15%. And there's also a misconception, I think, that if you have an active tipping culture, then the service will be better. But actually, other countries without tipping cultures actually have just as good service standards. So I think that's another misconception. And I think there's a level of just unease from customers in having to make this decision. Like it is kind of this like social weight every time you get a bill that both of us have traveled a lot. And when you're in places where tipping is not existent or just it, it's much more straightforward is just it, it it's nice. <laughs> it honestly is nice, not even from a monetary perspective, but just where you're not having to think about this. The same way that when you go into a cafe and they don't turn around the terminal at you, it's like, ah, oh, I don't have to endure this tiny little social experiment where I'm having to tip in front of the people behind me. So I think those are some of the reasons that people argue against it. And and ultimately those people probably argue that the the tips should just be built into the price. And that a good business should be able to reconfigure to still be successful while still paying their employees well. On the point about the quality of service and how that varies in places where tips are more of a thing like the United States and places where it's less of a thing, say South America or Europe, do you really think that the service is of the same quality? Just based on my experience like U.S. customer service, actually across the board, even in places where tipping is uncommon, like grocery stores, is much more customer-centric. Like people are nicer, they're more responsive to your needs, they're more apologetic if things go wrong, 
Whereas you go to average restaurant in Spain and the server barely pays you any attention. Mm-hmm. I do feel like you do on average get a higher quality service in a place like the US, or at least more of a chipper attitude towards consumers. I don't know. I, I would love to see concrete data on this. I don't have it. I would imagine it's a pretty mixed bag. For example, in Japan, tipping is not only not customary, but in some cases can appear as rude. And the best customer service that I can think of is in places like Japan. They're so, so on top of their stuff. They care so much about you having a good experience. America definitely has the most friendly. I don't I don't know another term for it, but if you've been to America, you know it. It has a vibe, but I don't necessarily know if that's equivalent to great service. I've had great service in many places that maybe isn't as sunshiny. Yeah, I think the like general different attitude in America that I've heard a million times from non-Americans are like, wow, people in America are like quite nice to you, even in Walmart and other places yeah. like this. I think it is probably a product of it's one of the more capitalist places. And if you're a true capitalist, the thing that you want is a happy customer. And so there's just a whole culture and mentality around serving the customer at the expense sometimes of of yourself. And in the end, that benefits your business. So I think tipping is a piece of that, but there's a larger capitalist structure that probably contributes to that. Mm -hmm. Okay. I feel like we should get to the meat of this episode, which is probably what everyone wants to hear, which is just our actual takes on the matter. What do we like? What do we not like? So do you want to start? Well, I guess my main starting place is with the culture of tipping and how it's changed. So at a restaurant, just based on my cultural conditioning in the United States, like it makes a ton of sense to me that you tip based on the quality of service. There's like an average expected range. At this point, it's like minimum 15% or some people it's a minimum 20 and then they go above that. And I think one thing that I would note that's interesting that I don't really like on that and that I'd like to vet out for a second is the tip as a percentage of the bill. Because, Mm -hmm. I mean, if you just think if you go to a restaurant and you just order 30 beers, you're going to have a pretty (laughs) big bill, but no one had to do. Well, I think that's a bad example, right? Because they had to pour 30 beers. Maybe a better example is if someone serves you a meal. And you happen to order the thing that's $15 on the menu versus the $95 steak, right? They're still bringing out your meal. They're still bringing out your bill. They're still maybe pouring your coffee. I agree with you actually on this subject, right? Like I I just, I corrected you because if someone actually (laughs) had to bring you 30 beers that actually they're probably, they probably do actually deserve a good tip. Okay, fine. Especially by the end of you on 30 beers. But it is an interesting dynamic to use it. Like it makes sense to me from a business perspective, you would do it on the percentage basis because you're just going to collect more money from people and people who go to fancier restaurants probably have more money in the first place. And so they're going to be happy to kind of part ways with that money to you is just like an interesting feature that if you're designing the system from scratch, that benefits the business owners, but that doesn't always directly correlate with the level of service, the quality of service, and or the effort that actually goes into serving a table. And it also creates weird incentives around people kind of directing you to the more expensive things or Mm -hmm. telling you that you should order five to seven plates instead of what's true, which is three to four plates. They always do that. And I see that happening a lot too. Yeah. And it's, I don't, it's not even nefarious. I actually think it's not always driven from, oh, the bill's going to be bigger. It's just, Mm -hmm. 
it's just a weird effect. It's of just like the if they're debating, thing. it should it be four or five plates, and it's probably somewhere in the middle. They're just going to say five. I don't think it's a nefarious thing either. It's just, I don't know. I I, I agree with you. I. I don't mind the tip percentage because I like that there's a guidepost to be like, oh, it's just, yeah, like 15, 20%. You know what you're getting into. But at the same time, it is when you go to a more expensive place. And if you're going for a $300 meal versus a $60 meal, then it's like, okay, should that person who's serving you just because you're at a more expensive place get a like five times higher tip? I don't know. I actually don't know what the right answer is, but what else do you like or not like about tipping? Well, we focus on restaurants so far, but there's many other situations where you might tip. Say you're at a hotel and maybe you want to tip the staff or the people who help you with your bags, or you're in an Uber or a taxi, or maybe you're at the barber or whatever. You've gone on a tour in a foreign country and you're wondering whether you should tip or you're getting a massage. And I would say in a lot of those situations... I sometimes struggle to know what the norms are. There is some component of like, I didn't grow up traveling or going to hotels or to have anyone who could guide me on what is the correct policy for tipping in certain situations. And Mm -hmm. I think I've developed my own policy. And I, I think there are some areas where I'm a much more generous tipper and other areas where I'm not. A lot of that is just driven from like the value I get from specific experiences. Just for two examples, if I get a really good massage, I'm like very happy to tip well there, even if the massage is quite expensive, because that's something I value a ton just personally. And then another weird one where I'm probably the most generous tipper is the barber. I don't know why, but I'm always giving barbers like a hundred percent tip. And it's just, I, I don't even care that much about my hair. And this is true for like bad haircuts too. But for some reason in that context, I'm able to, at least on a percentage basis, part with more of my money and be plenty satisfied to do that. And I think that's actually a good way to think about tipping as well, which is, hey, it's your money. And yes, there may be some norms, but it feels better if you actually direct that money in places that you value more than others. Yeah, I love that. And I think one of my qualms with the tipping structure in America is it just feels like it's really just a tax. And I don't necessarily have a problem with paying a tax. It's more so I don't like how it's represented as like a incentive-driven mechanism. When really, you get stink eyes if you do anything really below 15 or 20%. What I would like is if, it, if we're really regarding it as something where we get to reward people for great service is where there's just a way wider range. Like, if someone gives you really bad service, you tip them zero. And ideally, they're getting paid a general minimum wage, not a tip minimum wage. But if they do great work... They get an excellent tip, like you're saying, like 100%, 50%. Maybe I'm just stingy. It's a little harder to do the 50, 100% tips when you just always have to do the 15 to 20. It just feels like a, just feels like a habit, not actually something where you, you can really represent how you felt about a service. And to your point, not just in restaurants, but like with haircuts and everything else. I, I just don't really like how. Maybe just how it's represented. Like it's a tax. It's not a tip. Yeah, I think just to clarify your idea, because I actually think it's a decent one, but we would have to make some other changes. You're basically saying like there should be a greater range of tipping. It's not just like 15 to 25% and then low quality service gets still a good amount and high quality service 
gets like only a little bit more, you want to have a proper range, which is like, hey, if you didn't give good service, then you don't get very much. And if you gave excellent service, then hey, you get something that's going to like make you super happy and you should be proud of yourself for doing a great job here. So like zero to 50% as like tipping ranges. But for that to work, as you mentioned, people need to be paid fair wages. And this is where like the tension of the argument comes in, which is, yeah, like totally understandable if you make 250 an hour and you're pissed off at the cheapo because they're stingy or they just had some sort of weird bad experience and you didn't do anything wrong. You're like, dude, I can't pay my bills. Like, come on. Yeah, I know. I'd love to talk about what I think is the most interesting thing, (laughs) the modern problem, which is why people are complaining about tipping a lot, which is the guilt tipping and tip creep that has been caused by Square and Toast and all these (laughs) other tech companies that have mechanized generosity and created a guilt trip for tipping in ways that I think a lot of people are finding intolerable. And I think it's a much fairer argument than the server one in the current state of things. So I'd love to get into that because that is the juice that is going to produce the smoothie. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't heard you this fired up in a while. And I'm glad you mentioned not just Square, but Toast. And there's many other companies that do this. But I say that because I saw an article when I was researching that was something like Jack Dorsey has ruined restaurants or something like (laughs) just so, so extreme. But anyway, tell me more. What bothers you so much about guilt tipping? Let's set the stage a little bit. So I think Square launched in like 2009 or something like that. And over the last 10 years, and especially since COVID, I think many people have become familiar with these screens where you go to pay at a cafe or you go pay at a donut shop or even in a restaurant as well. You put your credit card there, the server or the barista flips the screen to you, and you get these default tip options. And it's 18, 20, 22%, or some people set it even higher, like the minimum is 22%. You have an option to not tip, or you can create a custom tip. And Which, by the way, the vendors are the ones who set that. They choose what tip options exist. Exactly. And so generally, this is good. It makes like payments easier. You don't actually have to write the tip on a receipt. It makes transactions faster, especially if you're at a coffee shop. Like I generally like that this tech exists. But it's created this weird dynamic where I think a few things have happened. And these are the things that people have quibbles about. And the first one is that it's increased the number of places where you may be asked for or expected to tip. So 10 years ago, if you went to like McDonald's or Chick-fil-A or Starbucks or wherever, a fast food place, you would not be expected to tip. And the same was true of like bakeries, coffee shops, et cetera. But with Square, what's happened is... Now, pretty much you go to a coffee shop and you pay $6 for a latte and $5 for some premium donut. And then you're presented with a screen that says like, hey, do you want to add another 2 $3 via a 20% tip? Or sometimes it's actually a dollar amount to this already overpriced <laughs> set of items that you've gotten. And that's happening in more and more areas. Like As I mentioned, it happened at a t-shirt place. I've heard this happening at auto mechanics. I've seen it at grocery stores, places basically where tipping culture is not well established. There's now these square screens that confront you with this question of, do I tip for the service? And maybe there are some good things to this, but I will say like the actual feeling that I think most people have is when you're looking at the barista and you're forced to like click an option to tip or not tip. Even if like at your heart, you don't believe that you should tip for the service, they just poured you a drip coffee, then you do it anyways, because there's some sort of guilt. 
But then there's the second pressure, which is the person behind you. There's like a social pressure, which if they see you hit no tip, they're going to be like, oh, this cheapo, this bad person can't part with a few more dollars and help out the service worker. And I think people are being placed in this situation when we've already had a pretty significant increase in inflation over the last three years. Um, this type of behavior accelerated during the pandemic when I think people became more aware of the plight of service workers, especially those that were like in restaurants that were required to shut down and businesses could really only survive if people were quite generous. But now mm-hmm. that we're on the other side of the pandemic, I think that kind of movement towards like really helping out service workers and giving businesses everything you have has just been become the default norm. And it's actually quite painful. Maybe not if you're a Google engineer making $500,000 a year and you're fine paying $7 for your latte instead of six. But for just like the everyday person who's like, hey, I just came here for a breakfast sandwich. I don't want to be asked for another $3 to pay for that sandwich. I'll stop there because maybe I'm not communicating this perfectly, but I think there's a lot of resistance and feelings of guilt created by this screen that I would call the mechanization of generosity that (laughs) totally ruins the opportunity to feel connected with the other person. You hit the 20%, you feel like shit, and you walk away and you drink that coffee and it tastes a little more bitter than it should have. I mean, I think one of the reasons I I mentioned before I would like the tip range to be bigger is because I think there's something nice about being able to reward people when you really want to, and also to do that in a big way. And I think your point about these tablets is that it's like the opposite of that. It's like forcing someone to do something when they don't really want to in a situation where they don't feel like it's really earned or applicable. And to do that in front of a big line behind them and if you think about it, a credit card terminal from the past has those little gray characters that you could hardly read even when you're standing right over the screen. And so you can set up a tip mechanism that is very personal and private. <laughs> and Square has, and, and not just Square, right? But like they they designed something that is bright white and blue. The tip percentage amounts are in huge numbers. And they flip the screen around so it's facing everyone behind you, right? It doesn't need to be that way. And that's why I agree that, I don't know, it it, it not only kind of guilts people into tipping more, but it's also just like, it takes away the enjoyment of tipping when someone has actually done something great, you know? Yeah, I I think it's it's really difficult because... So Square collects, I think, an extra quarter of a billion dollars in tips per year for businesses. And a lot of those tips are from places that didn't previously have as much tipping. So I'm assuming a lot of that goes on to workers and maybe they make more money and the business does as well. Maybe they have a chance of survival. So there's some sort of like argument around that where it goes to people and stuff like this. But to your point around how you feel about the experience, I never feel good with the Square experience. It takes away the joy. Mm-hmm of offering something. And in fact, in many cases, it's not that I don't ever want to tip at a coffee shop or something. It's just that I, just I don't want the wanna, option. I want the I want the option and in, in, in taking away the privacy and creating like the social pressures. In Square product people, I've read interviews, like they know that they've done this. They've designed the system and they know that people feel guilty. And also you you get the experience some let's just stick to baristas for a second. Some baristas will like stare at you. <laughs> while you're doing it 
and then give you a snarly face if you don't leave them a tip that they find sufficient. Other people actually turn the screen and kind of walk away and give you that privacy. And I always respect that as well, because I think those, those people understand. And I'm much more likely actually to give a better tip for those people because I'm like, okay, you respected my privacy. You didn't make me feel like a piece of shit just for ordering a coffee. (laughs) It's just a weird dynamic. And I think a lot of people don't like that. And I have some friends who are like, what's the big deal? It's just like an extra dollar or two. Great. Fine. If you feel like that, keep go being the awesome person that you are. But I think a lot of people actually have a huge problem with this and it just makes them feel bad and it it ruins the experience. Yeah. I I think, I mean, we're inevitably going to have people listening who are just like, you guys are massive cheapos, but it's not actually the money that's I find problematic. It's more so the framing, the the way I said about tipping in general. Like it's a tax. And if we want to position it as a tax, like that's fine. You know, I'm I'll opt in. But it's more so, yeah, like you said, it's a societal social pressure that didn't exist before that now exists just because a bunch of product managers and engineers have A B tested and figured out exactly what will get the average person to tip more at a terminal. Um, just feels a little, I don't know. I wish it wasn't so prevalent. Well, I, I actually think it's, it works in the short term, but I see the momentum around the reaction. Some of the things that we're expressing, cause I, I actually don't think we're being cheapos. Like I tip like often, I'm just saying that it, it feels bad. And there are cases where like, I probably would not have done it. And there's, I don't know, there's a local bakery that I go to and I love it. They just have like great stuff. And it feels somewhat personal. Like I talk to the people, they kind of know my name. I'm happy to tip every time I go there, even though I may not usually do that in every bakery. But part of that is the experience of like contributing to something in my own community. Well, on this topic, I thought I'd, I'd do a little bit of fun trivia. There's this article I found about seven interesting findings about how and why people tip. And I think it's actually on the Square website, <laughs> which is funny. So. They have this infographic of how different states compare in terms of being most or least generous in terms of tips. Where do you think California fits on this? Well, I've read some stuff that Democrats are actually the least generous <laughs> tippers. So <laughs> I, I would use that little evidence, if true, to say that California does not rank well on this. I was surprised by this, but I guess that rationale makes sense. Yeah, they're the fourth worst fourth least generous state out of 50 i think another i mean this is not just a political thing that was just like a factoid i read but california taxes you more than other places and so there is that sense of we can talk about this in a moment but san francisco has some weird taxes on your restaurant bill and it's like yo it's already expensive here and they they tack on a lot of other things so i think there is like an overtaxing in some sense that goes on in California that could contribute to that overall lack of generosity, if you will, because you're already mm-hmm. being squeezed and the cost of living is quite high. Why don't you talk about that? What are these taxes that appear every so often? So there's a very common one, which is called the SF mandate. And I think this started somewhere around 2008. But basically, it was a way that the state mandated that restaurants contribute towards healthcare for their workers. If you had a company or a restaurant with more than 20 employees, the business had to give somewhere between like two and $3 per hour worked per employee. And this would go to healthcare costs. And somewhere along the way, the businesses were like, yeah, that's interesting, but let me just pass on that cost to the consumer. And so that will often come 
if I'm getting this correct, on a restaurant bill, you'll see like an SF mandate mm-hmm. and businesses can make it anywhere from like four to 10%. And that money in theory is supposed to go towards healthcare of the workers. It's not put on the menu prices. You don't even know you're paying it until you get the bill. But I see that a lot in San Francisco. And it's like basically a tax that the business has just passed on to the consumers that I think is mm-hmm. kind of a nefarious thing to do. Personally, I think it should be baked into the prices if you're going to do that. And then you pay the taxes versus adding some percentage. Again, like if you have a really large bill, you're somehow contributing a lot more towards their workers' healthcare costs. It's, it's somewhat of an odd dynamic, I'd say. They also don't tell you, right? I remember this happening to us. It's not like they say on the menu when you walk in, hey, there's this SF mandate tax, right? Like, I think that is exactly why I agree it should be baked into the price, because at least with tipping, you have the societal, very, very widespread notion that when you eat somewhere, you generally tip. And even then, it is not mandatory. But what you're talking about with this mandate is it's not in every restaurant. The ones who do deploy it, they don't tell you beforehand. It just appears on your check at the end. That's right. So that's a very common one, and that's from legislation from some years ago. But then there's also apparently it's legal, and I've seen this as well, but you'll see fees like auto gratuity, a service charge, a dine-in fee, literally like a 10% fee if you dine in the restaurant, Mm -hmm. living wage surcharge, and just other things that restaurants, they can name them ambiguously and charge like 6% and just tack it onto your bill. And as long as they put it on the bill, that's a part of the service that they're charging. And again, you don't know it beforehand, but it's like totally legal for them to do that. And I see that all over restaurants in San Francisco. And the funny thing is, when you see it on the bill, you think that it's like mandated by the government. I initially thought, oh, this is like something to do with COVID and making sure that businesses get their fair share. And it turns out like they don't have to put this on there. They could charge nothing. And it's just like another way that businesses are kind of squeezing money out of consumers. And I find it interesting because when I see that, my desire is to tip less than the norm because mm-hmm. you're just adding 6 10% to my bill without having told me. It's it's just, I don't know. I, I think consumers get fed up with this stuff over time. You feel like you're just being kind of cheated out of more and more dollars. And it's it's more just it wasn't done up front and it's done in a very strange way. Well, as we've talked about, it's not, it is about the money, but it's more about the psychology and feeling good about the transaction. What this is reminding me of is I went to get a facial a month or so ago and I went to a new person and she was nice, but throughout the whole experience was just kind of nodding or asking for me to tip more, to buy more product, telling me things I probably didn't need, but oh, this would be nice to have, saying things like, oh, I don't normally do this, but for you, since you have this slot at the end of the day, you're getting something special. And you know, if it was just like one thing, it would have been fine, but she just did it so, so much to the point where at the end, I was at this crossroads where it was like super clear that she, I think, needed the money, but also she had just completely like the square terminal just like completely guilted me into giving it. Do I give her a great tip because I know she needs it? Do I give her an average tip because she still did the service? but I didn't really like how things went? Or do I actually tip based on my experience, which was pretty negative? And to your point about the long-term impact, I think I gave her a decent tip, but I didn't really ever want to go back, which was a much 
bigger hit to her business, right? Yeah, I think this speaks to actually just like a broader sales principle, which is if you remove the agency from the person and you guilt them into buying something, then maybe you close the sale one time, but generally that person's not going to want to come back because they don't feel like they came to the conclusion on their own terms. They may have regret mm-hmm. afterwards and you didn't give them the time and space to appropriately like value you. So I think of it more as people who are doing that are playing short-term games. And we had the similar experience last weekend where we <laughs> went to a winery and there was a guy who was like, he was the human version of the square terminal at the end. He watched <laughs> you. <laughs> he watched you as you made your decision about how much to tip. Yeah, actually. Yeah. So he duped us into joining their <laughs> wine club and then he made me say no to the square tip. And he's like, Hey, can we do this on Venmo? My guess is because then he won't have to pay Tax. taxes on the tip. And then three times before we left, he like followed up. He's like, Hey, did, did you get the Venmo? Did it go through? Uh, do you need my, the last four digits of my phone number? And I'm sitting there the whole time. And like, I don't want to send the tip when he's there because this guy's made me wildly, wildly uncomfortable. And gave like no agency over it. And in fact, you and I went to the car and our other friend who was with us when she left the bathroom, he's like, Hey, just want to make sure like, you know, does your friend know how to operate Venmo? Can you send that, that tip? And you know what? I think we gave him something that was reasonable, but it just left like a total sour taste in my mouth. And otherwise, like he did a pretty great job, like hanging out with us and giving us a good time and showing us the the perks of this winery. But I don't know. I, I still think it was a short-term game that Maybe he squeezed out an extra few dollars today, but we don't really want to engage with that in the future. And it's it's kind of sad. It's it's weird because I think in the end it feels a little bit like someone who's just like asking for charity. It's like, hey, can you transfer some of the money that you have to me because I need it more than you? And they have their own reasons for believing that, et cetera. And if you go about doing that, not from a place of like, wow, I really enjoyed this person. I love their service. I love how good they are at their job. Then you leave with a sour taste. And I don't think that works in the long term. I totally agree. Maybe just one other quick note on the Square stuff is that Square's business model is that they get a percentage of all transactions. And so this is very minor. But it's worth just noting that their incentive is to increase the bill as well. Like they get a percentage of tax and tip. Yeah. And it it totally makes sense. I actually think one thing that maybe we didn't hit on as clearly is I think a lot of consumers are upset, not just because they're guilted or because there's like the social pressure that they feel and they have this weird transactional experience that didn't exist before, but there are not the same types of norms and tipping in some places that you're being asked as there are in restaurants. So when Mm -hmm. I go to a restaurant, I never feel uncomfortable about the decision to tip because I kind of know what's going on. There's some like societal norms around it. But when I go to a donut shop and I buy two glazed donuts and it's like $6 and then there's a screen that says, do you want to tip two, three or $4? I'm like, what am I tipping for? Like you made the donut, you like priced it for me. And then I bought two of them. Do you just want two more dollars from me? It's, <laughs> well, it's, it's kind I mean, of a, like, that's not the same norm. And it's it's actually a difficult thing. And it really feels like you're just trying to extract two more dollars from me <laughs> instead of, like, you just gave me the donuts that you made. Like, 
Make them $4 each. Okay. But so I agree with you, but it is worth reflecting on the fact that it is pretty arbitrary what has the norm or what doesn't, right? Because if you're talking about service, someone making a latte for you, they are actually doing something for you, but isn't that already embedded in your job? And the same thing is true. Like if someone is a server, yeah, you could say they're spending more time serving you, but still it's like that's part of their job is to get your order grab the food enter the bill things like that like i was a server it's like part of your job and yeah you could say it's how they do it so maybe that's where the tip makes more sense but that's also again built into doing a good job like i very much believe in the fact that people should strive to do well in their jobs no matter what it is and be rewarded for that but like a, a masseuse as well it's like they're spending an hour with you. You could argue that they should be getting the best tip, but it's still, it's their job to spend an hour with you and give you a massage. So I don't know. I don't know exactly where I fall, but it's it's interesting to assess why is it that for some reason we think that it is always the case that someone at a restaurant should get a tip, but not in an Uber, not necessarily at a cafe in these other environments. Well, I think, I guess what I was getting at is the square is pushing the norms of the places where you may or may not tip. And restaurant is a more established one. It's somewhat built on how those employees are paid. And it is more of a service than if we go back to the donut example, I'm not actually getting a service. It's a pretty clear transaction. You've made the donuts, you've priced them, and you're just handing them to me. That's quite a bit different than like, sitting down, someone's talking to you, they're walking you through the menu, et cetera. But I think Square in these terminals, they're just challenging the ideas of where we should tip and how we should tip, et cetera. And I think at the end of the day, there's places where it just intuitively makes more sense or not more sense. Like at an auto mechanic, I just expect the job to be done well. But what if they're answering your questions? What if they're really friendly? What I'm pointing at is that it's not as straightforward to compare different service jobs because they all could give you a great experience. I agree. But like in the case of the auto mechanic, I expect the job to be done correctly. That's the most important thing with a mechanic. It's done like with some speed, but also some correctness because your car is a vehicle where you want to be safe. And I just expect that to be in the price of the service to then say like, hey, can I have 15% more? What is that for? You're already paying for the labor and the parts. Could be, could be speed. It could be how friendly they are. The same thing with food. Like the main reason you go to a restaurant is to eat the food. It's high quality food. It tastes good. And so what you're paying for is just that extra little bit about how you're served that goes to the, the server. What I'm pointing out is like, it, it's just, in my opinion, purely interesting how we in North America, because Canada is very similar have broken down certain jobs in service as being that, oh, of course this person should absolutely be tipped. And then in other places where I would argue there's just as much rationale that you could have around tipping, it's just not as much of a thing. I mean, maybe, but I do think that there are some razors you can cut through this. And one would be, am I getting a service or am I just getting handed something that was already made? And if, for example, with the t-shirt, that's maybe a clearer one than say like a donut or an auto mechanic. Why should I tip for buying the t-shirt? 
Like that, that is clearly an egregious overstepping of the tipping culture because the t-shirt is produced and manufactured in a way where there should be some sort of margin. And if you can't do that, you don't have like a quality business where servers are not paid enough money and they actually make their money via tipping. And that is why it's so culturally prevalent and such a hot button issue. But now these terminals are being brought into places that I think are making people question the norms and we're kind of figuring it out. So why don't we figure out what it is that we can end on? maybe some personal rules or some ideas that we like in this new modern landscape where some people call it guilt tipping. Some people say it's tip creep. Some people say it's people getting what they always deserved. I don't know what the answer is. We've talked about a lot of ideas here. Why don't we finish it off with our final thoughts? Well, I'm I'm just kind of imagining where else square terminals could be placed. And I'm just thinking like you're getting off the bus <laughs> or like, you know, just there's a lot of places you're like getting off an airplane. Yeah. Should you start tipping flight attendants? I mean, I don't know. Like, what if the meals you buy in the airplane do you tip there? I mean, you can literally put it anywhere, but let's not give Square any ideas. Square's already got the ideas. These <laughs> guys are taking over. But ultimately, a lot of this to me, the frustration. There's like the social pressure and guilt thing that I don't think is good for the consumer experience. It makes you feel bad when you're paying. People already have a problem parting with money because money is such a hot button issue and very few people have enough of it. But I don't think that consumers should have to make up for bad business practices or to just pad the bottom line of businesses. So what do we do? So let's start with restaurants. I deeply, deeply love my experiences in Europe and South America. Uh, It's not true in all of the countries, but where service is simply included on the bill or somehow Mm -hmm. baked in where you just pay that bill. You're not expected to put anything on top of that. And there's a couple of examples of restaurants that do this, but there's one that's called Zazi. It's like a brunch and dinner spot. And they just have a thing on their menu that says all of our menu prices include 20% revenue share, paid family leave, fully funded health and dental insurance, paid time off and 401k with employer match for all of our hardworking employees. Menu with all-inclusive prices, no tips expected. Mm. I love that. I love that message. It's it's clear. I look at the menu. I see the prices. I know exactly what I'm going to pay. And I know that the employees are getting like all of these benefits and that these people take care of their employees. I don't have to guess, do I need to give 30% to make sure someone lives a has like a livable wage? The service is great at the restaurant. And I just w- wish more restaurants operated that way. Because I would be happy to pay for the higher menu prices to avoid the discomfort of trying to figure out that whole tip thing at the end. And I don't even look for that much from my servers. I don't expect that much from them. I just want my food to be delivered and to have like a reasonably good experience with the people I'm with. And I really Mm -hmm. wish more restaurants, particularly in the US, did that. And it's something I always like about traveling abroad is just this. It's baked in. And in this case, they actually talk about where the money has gone and why their omelet might be $3 more expensive than some other place. And I'm happy to pay it. I really am. I agree. The second thing on restaurants is just that I think all of these fees, the SF mandate, all that stuff, it should be stated up front. Like, I don't think it should be allowed that you can just tack on things at the end of your bill without consumers knowing what they're getting into. Agreed. Okay. And then the last set of things is actually personal practices. So if you're listening to this and you got this far, you may think we're total idiots and ungenerous. No, we lost those people a while ago. (laughs) Okay. So maybe we lost those people, but I think you should just develop your own personal practices. And if you 
like me and maybe sometimes Steph are kind of uncomfortable sometimes with these square terminals. I think the only answer is actually to look at this discomfort and be like, what am I doing that's like violating, you know, how I would operate? And it's violating not just that, your values. Yeah, violating your values. It's not that you're just a cheapo. It's actually that feels like you're being taken advantage of in some way. One thing that I've started doing is I carry around cash and I tip with cash. And so I just have like a bunch of $1 bills that I carry around. And I didn't know you were doing that. I was wondering why you had so many bills. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so that makes me feel better. I actually like the experience too better of like going into the cash tip jar. And, you know, there used to be the experience of like, oh, keep the change. And maybe that's stupid because the change wasn't enough to make anyone's life better. But there's something nice about that experience. And I'm going old school in that way. The second thing is having tipping rules for common things. So I go to coffee shops a lot. And so I have rules around what I will do every time I go into the coffee shop. And it's pretty much like if I just get a latte or a coffee, I'm just going to tip a dollar every time. That's my rule. Maybe I'm paying more for the coffee than I need to. But I just knowing that going in, I don't worry about the guilt or what people say behind me because I just set this up for myself beforehand. I don't think anyone's judging you for tipping a dollar for coffee. I actually don't know if people are judging you if you don't tip. Like, have you ever looked at someone in front of you and thought, what a cheapo? You know what they're going through. Yeah, but some people have very different opinions than us on this. And I, yes, I don't judge other people for what they tip at the coffee shop. I'm like, I'm sorry that you have to go through this experience with me. The <laughs> final two things. The first is, I mentioned it before, but tip generously where it feels good. For me, that's the barber, masseuses, etc. And okay, maybe I'm less generous in other domains, but like I feel really good about putting my money there. And I, I think that's the whole point of money, which is to spend on the things and areas that you value. And you got to <laughs> figure that out for yourself. And the final thing is, if you're the type of person who's like, oh, you cheapo, you won't do 20% at every square terminal. You're probably the type of person who has no problem paying $7 for a donut and $14 for one empanada. And that's fine if you want to be generous in that way. But I think for most people, that's not a viable thing. And this tipping culture, the thing I worry about is not my personal experience, but I think it creeps into the pockets of everyday people by using guilt. And that is just net bad for consumers. And so I don't judge people for their practices there, especially at the unconventional places for tipping. Well, I think maybe it's an opportunity for some companies to, to be different because it has been so widespread. You mentioned a cafe you like or a brunch place where they differentiate because they don't do that. So yeah, I don't know if I diverge too much in the things that you said, but I think the biggest thing for me is just, I feel like things should be labeled as they are. So if tipping culture is true, where it's like 15% minimum, and if you tip any less than that, you're given the evil eyes, then I, I think it's a tax and that's okay. But very interested to see how this episode is received. And I will part with one piece of advice, which is to never sign up as Calvin's auto mechanic if you're ever looking for a tip. But if you're a barber out there, he's got a big wad of ones ready for you. No, my barber's not getting ones. That guy's getting <laughs> I just dozens. You said you're getting... carrying a lot of ones. You know, and you get like... No, but the barber's not getting... The, the, the barber's <laughs> getting the big bucks, all right? First of all, the auto mechanic, I'll give you an example where it makes sense before we sign off, which is if you actually needed an urgent service and someone like came to your house or whatever and like you knew them and they took care of you, it's like, yo, thanks. I'll give you double just because like I really needed this in a pinch. But if I'm going to get my oil changed, I mean, put it in the price, man. I don't I don't need to be paying right, an extra 15%. Right. 
All right, that's that's enough canceling ourselves for now on tipping culture. Until next time. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.